Okay. Um, you guys know that I spent 16 days in Israel, and I've been taking some time in July to just kind of walk through that trip, because a lot of you have been asking me, you know, what were the highlights, things like that. But what I want to do this morning is answer a different question. A lot of you have asked, so, like, did you hear anything from God? Was God, like, speaking to you while you were there? Uh, what, what changed in your walk with God? And so what I'd like to do, this is going to be a little bit of a different kind of thing today, um, I'm an avid journaler, and I would suggest that you become an avid journaler if you're not. Just a few sentences a day. What am I learning? Where am I stuck? What is God doing in my life? What is God teaching me? Those are things that, you know, if you wrestle through that every day, you're going to see growth in your life. Um, so while I was in Israel, what I would like to do this morning is kind of open up my journal for you and let you into what I feel like God was doing in my heart while I was there and what, you know, the, this one, more than anything else, active point of growth that I feel like I have personally got from Israel. Because there's a lot to learn there and a lot of history and things like that. But experientially, there was something that God is really working on in my life. And hopefully through that, you can begin to figure out how that applies to you and and make adjustments. So, the thing that I wrestled with more than anything else in Israel is my own call to ministry and my own struggle with you know, feelings of inadequacy and things like that and feelings of fear when it comes to, to God's call for my life. Because really Israel is like the land where God called people to do great things for Him. I mean, the Bible is full of these stories of God calling everyday, ordinary uh, lesser than impressive individuals to do great things for him. So when I was, uh, you know, 16 in high school, um, I began, I was Methodist, and, you know, my, my parents went to church every Sunday. I went to church every Sunday. I can tell you how many boards are in the ceiling of Wesley United Methodist uh, Sanctuary, because that's pretty much what I did was count the boards of the ceiling. And... Um, began to feel this, this strange inner pull toward ministry. And I really had no idea what that meant aside from wearing a nice fancy robe and teaching on Sunday mornings and greeting people out in the lobby. And, and so this call, if you will, was terrifying to me because I knew that ministers did two things. Spoke in front of people and met people, shook hands, things like that. And when I thought about myself and anything I can or can't do, I had a problem with those two things. So I was in speech class because I had to be in high school. And they gave you your speech, and my speech was on sexual stereotypes. <laughs> and it was supposed to start like this. Big Bad Bob climbs onto the Harley Davidson, revs the engine, throws back a Budweiser, let's go an earth-shattering belch, and rides off into the sunset. Okay, that's how it was supposed to start. And literally, and I kid you not, when I got up in front of the kids to do my speech the few times that I had to, the adrenaline and fear was such that I could not get my arms and body to gesture the way I had to. So it went something literally like this. Big Bad Bob 
climbs onto the Harley-Davidson, revs the engine, rides off into the sunset. And, and I was so terrified, and it didn't get better, you know, so I was so terrified that, that, that I couldn't gesture, and I would find myself, like, having the speech memorized in sections, and I would repeat sections, you know, like, start back at the beginning. So, so when I felt this call to ministry, oh, and when it comes to people, when your last name is Poindexter, you struggle with social inadequacies. So I had my deal with God in that, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I don't know what it means, but I'm not going to be speaking in public. I'll be in full-time ministry, but I'm not going to be speaking in public, and I'm not going to be dealing with people. So that, that, was my, that was my arrangement with God. But we all... We all have those things that, that when we follow Jesus, He is going to call us to do things that are concerning to us and that we feel very um, weak toward. And if you have not yet heard God ask you to do something that you didn't feel ready to do, then you're probably not listening very closely to God because it sure seems to me like He pretty much only asks us to do things that we're not quite comfortable with. And when you're walking through the land where Jesus called His disciples and where God called the prophets and you're on the real soil where that happened and you look at the real hills of these stories and you have this limp like I have with ministry where it's like, God, I, you know, I still struggle with these, with these inadequacies and, and, and fears and things like that. You can't help but be reminded that this is the place that exploits the fact that God calls people who feel inadequate to do great things. And He still does this today. The Bible says that if we follow Jesus, believing isn't good enough. He calls us to active living. So in 1 John, John says, if you claim to know Jesus, then you have to do the things that he did. James says, it doesn't do you any good to just believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Even demons believe that. You have to live a life of following him. And so when you follow someone, it means you live the kind of life that they lived. And when we do that, it means we're naturally going to be called into situations that make us very uncomfortable. I think about my mom, and some of you know the story of my mom, the part-time hairdresser, um, high school educated with, with beauty school degree. And um, we were at, we changed churches um, when I was 17 years old to a church that was exploding in growth with lots of boomer CEO Ph.D., uh, it was like an up-and-coming church growing rapidly, six, seven, eight hundred people. My mom, the part-time hairdresser who specialized in telling dirty jokes, that was, that was her claim to fame in the beauty shop, uh, began to feel like God was calling her to spend uh, an hour a day in prayer. And, you know, I mean, she was short of God is good, God is great, and we thank Him for our food, you know, that was a new thing for her, but she felt like she had to do this and like somehow God was going to use this in her, so she starts to do this every day for an hour. And God begins to tell her things and give her these leadings about things. 
and lay upon her heart that she's supposed to go to these leaders in the church and tell them these things. And, and, and so she would go and take these strange answers that she didn't even understand about you know, strategic concerns or building projects or things like that. And, and the pastors would just kind of look at her with you know, bug eyes because God would have essentially given her an answer that they had been praying and fasting for confidentially. My mom comes barging in this part-time hairdresser. God says this. And it lines up perfectly. So all of a sudden she starts to get invited to these meetings and to these, you know, these fairly high-level meetings of a growing church with CEOs and things like that that are there. And I remember she would come home crying because she's the part-time hairdresser in a room with corporate executives from Jackson Township that live in, you know, $900,000 houses. And, and here she is, uneducated, um, as a part of these teams, and, and I just see this. God calling people who are otherwise inadequate to do these things that make them very uncomfortable, but in the end, change the world around them. So while the Holy Land and my life is this place of God calling people to do things for Him, it's also this place where His people reject and try to walk away from that calling. I want to read you one of my favorites. Um, Exodus chapter 4. Like is often the case when God would call you to do something significant that you don't feel adequate toward. Moses was minding his own business, had no idea, he was tending sheep, had no idea that God was about to call him to redeem a whole people. God appears to him in this burning bush. He lays out this calling, and Moses said, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since I've been speaking to you. Like in the past few minutes. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else. And it's that, it's that verse 13 there. <clears throat> I hear Moses' spirit there. Oh Lord, please send someone else. And he's gone for excuse after excuse and it's not working, and God's not having it, and God is insistent, and it's just that panic moment, fight or flight, he's choosing flight, please send someone else. And what, what I want you to, if nothing else, to take away from today, whether it's making a commitment to follow Jesus, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's talking to someone about what God is doing in your life or trying to get to know your neighbors better or whatever it is that might be your next step that kind of deep down you just have that nag, oh, I wish that would go away, but it doesn't, and you feel like it's God, but you feel inadequate. And you get to that point of, please send someone else. My allergies are bad this morning. I apologize. <coughs> um... Remember that that just puts you in line 
with a long list of followers of God who have been called to do things that they don't feel good about. And in the end, like the lesson from Moses and the lesson from the disciples of Jesus, is that when we say no out of fear, we end up missing out on amazing stories and an amazing legacy. I think about my mom and, you know, had she said no? Or many of you. And we have elders that may or may not have like fel- felonious activity in their background here at Polaris. And had they said no, <laughs> had they said no to God's call in their life, they would have missed out on, on some, some amazing stories. I'm reminded of, can somebody be a lamb? And Paul, can you grab me some more water? Because that ain't going to last. And it's just, I got this monster tickle in my throat. Um, I think about my children on the 4th of July, you know, this past week, perfect example. So Spencer, a few years ago, he was, I think he was two years old, and we took him to see his first fireworks. And he knows it's going to be exciting, but (laughs) that should do. He, he knows that, you know, this is his first fireworks. He doesn't know what he's going to see. We, we take him to, thank you, Paul. We take him to um, the, the Brunswick High School Stadium Complex. And we're sitting there and we're looking into the night sky. And he's excited and he doesn't know what to expect. And the minutes are ticking and he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Boom! The first one goes off. He poops his pants on the spot and runs into the truck. <laughs> now, I've studied this. And when a person poops their pants out of fear, it is because their body has decided it will waste no energy on anything except the fight. So he got to the point where he feared for everything. And But this past week, uh, by the way, please don't tell him that I shared that story. <laughs> He's getting old enough to... uh, um, Elijah, uh, my my three-year-old, was there, and Spencer was playing in the driveway at my parents' house with these those snaps, you know, where you throw them down and they pop. And he's playing with them, and Elijah's just scared to death, which I've never seen Elijah afraid of anything, but he was scared of those. And I said, come here, Elijah, try it, try it, try it, just try it. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. And I said, just hold it. And finally, I got him to just hold the little tip of it, you know, the little twisted tip. And then finally I got him to throw it as far as he could so it landed far away from him and it popped and he did one of those little like three-year-old where he gets all excited, you know? And, and then he was throwing probably 150 snaps at the ground after that. He was gone. And that's the perfect reminder for what it's like to follow Jesus. And that whether it's something as crazy as actually leading somebody to a relationship with Jesus or something as simple as going to pray with somebody who's crying on a park bench. After we do those things, there is always, always, always this exhilaration that comes from that. All right, let me walk back through now a couple of... I'm going to go backwards, guys. Sorry, I'm skipping around here. I've, I've done this a different way every time I've gone through it. So, so there's a place in, um, <clears throat> in Scripture, and it's in 1 Samuel. I've got to find it. 
There it is. Okay. One of the things that we often get hung up on when it comes to being obedient to the teachings of Jesus and actually accepting that God is going to use us for something is we get caught up in our own abilities, like I did with you know my fear of public speaking and my trying to connect with people. And so um, we start to make these excuses, but the message of Scripture is you walk through like the Holy Land, it rains out, you just hear all these excuses, and you hear God's way of looking at things versus our way of looking at things. So for instance, we're standing in the fields of Bethlehem where David once tended his sheep as a young boy. And you think through the moment when Samuel came to him in 1 Samuel 16, and it says when they arrived, you know, Samuel is going to anoint David as king over Israel. David had no idea when he woke up. Nobody in his family knew when they woke up that day. Samuel didn't even know who it was going to be. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. This was one of David's brothers. The Lord said, don't consider the appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, which essentially means he's not the one that I've chosen. The Lord does not look to the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is never interested in your skills. So you cannot begin to talk with God about what you can or can't do based on His calling. And the reason this is so significant, because, I mean, this is, this is like me wrestling through this in Israel. Knowing, because I'm standing there in Bethlehem where once God told Samuel, the Lord does not look at the skill set. And I'm having to talk myself down from all these fears. And maybe God's going to call you sometime in the next week to go and pray with somebody or talk with somebody about what God is doing. And you're going to resort to that kind of I don't know the Bible well enough. Oh, well, the Lord does not look to knowledge. He looks to something deeper. And He looks to His own ability to do things through you. There's another thing that I find people tend to um, focus on when it comes to being obedient to God's will for their life and, and maybe stepping out and doing something Uh, more than just coming to church or, or doing the receiving part of walking with God. Because there is a receiving part where we take in knowledge and we worship and things like that. But then there's this active part that God calls us to. And sometimes people get caught up in their past and with the sins of, of their past. But God never seems to be that concerned about your past and your past failures when it comes to things that he may or may not ask you to do. So I think about Saul, and there's this guy that had persecuted the church. He was responsible for the killing and imprisonment of Christians, and God chooses him to be a leader in the church, to be a prominent leader in the church. And it says in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord came to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now at this, Ananias' heart probably started to beat fast because he knew 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. Now right there, you get a guy who gets it, Ananias. He's a follower of Jesus. God could have chosen him. He doesn't have the past baggage of killing Christians. But God goes for the guy who is the least obvious candidate. So sometime, maybe this week, God is going to call you to do something for his kingdom. And you're going to be tempted to say, I can't do that. I have a lot of people say, I know that God wants me to be baptized, but my life is not yet where it needs to be. God's not real concerned about your past when it comes to being obedient to the things that he calls you toward. Now, I have one final scripture. I want to kind of tie this all together here. Um, So I'm there in Israel wrestling through the things that I know that God calls me to do. And I would like to put yourself there as well with all of your excuses. And my excuses were exploited that week. My fears and inadequacies and insecurities were exploited because I happened to be there with 19 other pastors, many of whom are icons for me. These are the men who have shaped my life. So I'm there with a man named Greg Nettle, who I believe is one of the greatest preachers, teachers, communicators in the country right now. And I'm there with him, naturally comparing myself to that ability. Greg works with a man named Al D'Angelo, who is my youth pastor and mentor, and Al is one of the best strategic thinkers that I have ever been around. So I'm there comparing my ability to strategically think with Al's ability There's also a guy there named Dan Smith, who is my ministry nemesis. (laughs) I like Dan. I get together with Dan every now and then for coffee. Dan is just crazy talented in everything he does. It's disgusting. And and he went to college with me. He was a senior when I was a freshman, and I kind of went through with this understanding, you know, if you take your vitamins and say your prayers and, you know, Everything goes well for you. Maybe you'll get to be as good when you're 50 as Dan is as a senior in in college. You know, so there's Dan Smith, who then comes and plants a church in Cleveland, Ohio, and here he is again. And, And so he's on that trip, and I always can't help but compare myself to somebody with that kind of talent. Then there's a guy named Tracy Tooley that has this amazing legacy of lives that he's touched through his youth ministry. And And I'm there, and about halfway through the trip, I'm just dying because I'm around all these people, and I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm done. I'm I'm moving to South Carolina. I'm going to be a stay-at-home dad, and and Kelly can support me, and and I'm just going to raise my kids because I can't do this. I can't compete with this. Okay? There's this passage, and I really want you to hear this because I really want you to think through how it applies to you with the things that you maybe feel God's calling you to do but feel maybe inadequate for. Okay, there's this passage that, that took place uh, right around the, um, the, the area on the Sea of Galilee where I was staying. And again and again and again and again and again, God kept beating this into my head. And then finally one day I feel like he just spoke 
deep in my heart, okay, this is uh, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Now, these were normal guys. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were uneducated. They were normal. One of the, one of the comical pieces of my mental energy of the week was to picture a little boat with 13 people in it. Jesus, the most competent human being to ever walk the planet, the most amazing being to ever draw breath here, is in a boat with a bunch of teenagers... <laughs> going across the galley, and you just picture this picture of human perfection, and then these moronic teenagers that are smacking each other and stuff like that in the boat going across, okay? They're about to change the world for him. So he sends them out, two by two, on their own. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff. No bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. <clears throat> the first exercise that Jesus walked those men through was to learn that they could not depend on anything that they would normally depend on to be true to their calling. They couldn't take food. They couldn't take money. They couldn't take clothes. They couldn't take a staff. They they could not take the things that were important to them for success. And that was one of the first lessons that he taught them. And so what I began to feel God telling me with that, Alex, I'm sending you to Brunswick. Do not take Greg Nettle's communication skills. You don't get that. Do not take Al D'Angelo's strategy. You don't get that. Don't take Jason Lance's heart or Dan Smith's talent or any of those. You don't get to take the things that you're thinking you need to be obedient to my calling. And so what I ask you to do this week is to take some time and label what are the things that God calls me to do right now. Or maybe you're going to be faced with that situation at work where the conversation needs to be had with somebody and you find yourself working through your checklist that keeps you from doing those things. And ask yourself, what am I trying to take here? What's my tunic? What's my you know, bread? What's my money? I don't get those things when I follow Jesus. I have to go and rely on God to be my strength and weakness. So think about that this week because if we keep bailing, if I keep bailing on everything that God asks me to do, I am missing out on an amazing adventure in this life, but also the people that God could touch through me or through you are missing out on seeing the love of Jesus at work in their life.